0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this Word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember... You are loved. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, Before we get into this word, um, first off, I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, if you could do that. Once you're there, give me an amen. And um, we're going to go revisit James 1 today as I felt it needed to be revisited today for for many reasons. But go ahead to James chapter 1. We're going to read verse by verse here today. And we're going to have a good time in this passage. James 1. Mercy came up here and when she during 930 huddle and I was blessed by her words and um, I, I said I'm, I'm speaking today on what you just shared upon and I know that God is speaking to someone here maybe it was already beginning that someone that was here for 930 huddle that needed to first hear that word be planted hopefully this one waters and um, that God would bring much growth today amen um, Māori made an announcement, and we have a lot of announcements, if you saw that, that were being made. And um, one of the announcements that was being made was on Saturday we're going to open up the church, and whoever wants to come and pray has the freedom any Saturday to come in here and pray, and the church will be open for prayer. And um, like he said, we have an app, and um, you can fill out one of the prayer cards there. It's uh, our war cards, We Make War. And uh, maybe it's a family member, a friend. Maybe it's something yourself. And what's interesting about that is, you know, you could leave your name out of it. You could be anonymous or you could put your name on it and we'll pray for you by name. Or we could pray for you anonymously. And um, you have the freedom to do that. So so you could go ahead and fill that out. And um, one of the groups that will be praying for some of those things will be that group on Saturday that will be coming and praying and interceding. So that's going to be special. We want to just go ahead and... um, Reiterate that to see if any of you want to join in or at least send in a prayer petition. Amen? Amen. Praise God. James 1. Are we in James chapter 1 today? I kind of want to do something. I was going to read verses 1 all the way through 18, but when mercy came up here and some other things that were spoken today, I think I might just quickly go through it, and I want to start off most likely in verse 12 today. The, the, this message was going to be split into two different parts. I might just go into the second half of this part of this message and uh, just go from there. And um, I, I want I want to make sure that we recognize this. The first thing that you could write down in your notes is this. I want you to write this down. Faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. How long shall I be faithful? Well, to the end. To the end. Faithful to the end. And, and um, to be faithful... It takes work from us to remain faithful, to be steadfast in our faith. It's um, we we must persevere in our faith, amen. And um, it's an ongoing uh, thing. It's not just something like, yeah, I had faith once and I said a prayer and my my name is written in this book called the Lamb's Book of Life. No, there's a life to be lived and there's a there's a longevity, there's a faithfulness to the end, and it's important. As we look at James chapter one. And, and James one is huge on faith, obviously. But as we look at James chapter one, the importance to living authentically. We're, we're called to live authentically, amen? amen. Not just authentically, but in our authenticity, we're called to live with wisdom. We're called to live in wisdom and in authenticity. What I mean by that is is in truth authenticity is truth in truth and wisdom I love that when Jesus lived out in his ministry did you notice that his life represented one of truth and wisdom it was truth and wisdom yeah and grace and forgiveness and all those things but he was a a man of truth and he was a, a man of wisdom And um, we've shared on things like this, and as we revisit even James 1, as you've heard certain people come up here and speak today, we know that, and and she hit this on the head today in the morning, the greatest moments, these moments in our lives that that are given to us, and she said it clearly, and I said, okay, I think that's why I'm going to start in verse 12 today, to demonstrate faith, to demonstrate wisdom, to demonstrate truth, authenticity, when is that? I think we could all come to this answer. It's when your faith is tested. When your faith is tested, now you have the platform to show truth, to show authenticity, to show wisdom, and to live out your faith before others. How many of you can say your faith has been tested? If your faith has been tested, can you stand with me in agreement for a moment? If your faith has been tested, maybe it's not being tested right now. You're a beautiful soul if it's not being tested. <laughs> look around. Watch this. This is amazing. Just, just look at some of your brothers and sisters. You could do that. Just look around at someone real quick. Make eye contact with a certain, certain folk here and there. Well, what do you see? You see a brotherhood, a sisterhood, right? You see a family of people. Every single one of us, our faith has been tested. Every single person here. And, and that's important. How many of you in some of these testings have come out of that? Okay, let's sit back down. We'll play a game. Have a good time today. (laughs) How many of you have come out of your faith being tested? Stand up again. Some of you are like, I'm still in it. All right. Now, now this is important because you stood up, and maybe there's some right now that are still sitting and says, my faith is still being tested. I haven't come out of this test. It's a beautiful thing because part of my faith being tested and coming out of that testing is for the one who's still being tested, who has not been released from the testing that they're in currently in right now. You know, our faith being tested is all for the glory of the Lord, but it's also for the strength of the brotherhood. You may be seated. Amen. And, and I want to make sure we understand that. And as we live that out before each other, we may be seated. We, we, as we live that um, amongst each other, we need to use wisdom. We need to be authentic with our lives. And um, as believers, that, that's what makes us different. We don't want to trust in all things, and we don't want to trust as the world trusts and all the things that the world trusts in. We want to trust in the one that matters, and his name is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to go ahead, and, and I want to start off um, um, on verse 12, but I want to go ahead and read some of the, the passage. I say I'm going to start off in verse 12. We'll see what happens here. But I want to go ahead and and read um, some of the passage so you could see some of the things that are being said here by James as he's writing this letter. Um, I'm going to just read through verses 2 and on. I was going to break down key words and all that, but let's just kind of get through this until we get to verse 12. Um, I'm going to skip a few as we get deeper into this. Let's start off in verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is important. Remember I said wisdom, authenticity, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. Ever felt that before? You've ever felt, um, you've ever felt in your doubts that you have been like um, driven by and tossed by every kind of wind. You've been just by the waves of life. You've, you've just felt, oh my God, I feel bombarded. At any point of your life, you've ever been there. Yes. Maybe some of you are there right now. And James says, "But let him ask in faith, without doubting." For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And it says in verse 8, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Verse 12 is, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and jump real quick to verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I love that. Blessed is the man who who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, when he's come out of, he's going to receive a crown, which the Lord has promised. Did you notice that Maori said something today about promise? Uh, as he said that, I started to sing, my beloved sings over me, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Those are his words over my life. His promises are yes and amen. And when you read these verses, right, when you read verses 2 through 8, and we, read, we jump to verse 12, which is where we're going to pick up at, and, and you read these set of verses. It's so important because he, he's giving us some key things. Let's build this up before we get into verse 12. He's telling us, well, first off, you know, uh, I want you to count it all joy. What the new living would say, consider it an opportunity of great joy. And, and you read that and you're like, well, this is hard because in verse 2, when troubles come my way, listen to this, how ironic this may sound together. When troubles come my way, when troubles come my way, consider that an opportunity for joy. And for anyone who faces trouble, you're like, how do you want me to encounter joy in the midst of trouble? And James says, well, consider it. Consider to find joy in the midst of trouble. Uh, Sometimes when we are released from that trouble, when we start to feel some victory out of the trouble, we start to feel joy in it. But can you imagine being in the pit of that trouble and encountering a supernatural joy that comes from the midst of that pit, in the midst of that darkness or that confusion? Or the questioning. And, and, and he says that you would have complete joy. That's what that... When it says, count it out joy, consider an opportunity for great joy. It's, it's a spiritual, it's an enduring joy. It's a complete uh, joy. And all over scripture, we see things. I, ha- I think I gave them these scriptures. In Daniel 4, 5, it says, He does and he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? And in First Peter 1, 7, it says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Two passages here, one that says, well, what have you done? But in First Peter, it's giving us the answer of what has he done? What he's done is that in the midst of the fire, that the result would come from you, that there would be a praise and a glory that would be raised up within you, that it would honor Jesus Christ, and in that there is a revelation of who Christ is. The person that finds the the place to to praise and glory and give honor to Jesus in trouble will bring forth to those that are witnessing their life the revelation of Christ. What is it? It is that Christ is alive, though I'm experiencing trouble, trials, temptations, whatever it is. That's the power of Scripture. That's what James is saying here. What what does that stuff do to the believer? Here's what it does. Ready? It magnifies. That stuff magnifies your, it magnifies your living. It magnifies your living. Why do you think that your life would be magnified? Because you, in your being magnified in your faith, it's, it's to show what, that it's authentic. It's to show that it's faithful. And, 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 and this is what James is saying. So as we get ready to go to verse 12, you know, he says some words, you know, man, don't doubt. Look at the person next to him say, don't doubt. If it was just so easy to just obey that command, don't doubt. Don't worry. Don't doubt. Don't stress. What else can I say? Don't be anxious. Don't doubt. If it was just that easy, don't doubt. Because he says in verse 6, it's because if not, it's, you're like a, you're like a wa- the wave of the sea. That's what you are when you're doubting, when you're living like that, when you're living defeated. You're driven and tossed by the wind. And many of you said, I've been there. I've been driven by the waves. I've been tossed, man, by the wind. Uh, the new living says, verse 6, this way. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. I know what it feels like to feel unsettled, unsettled, where, where, where I just don't feel settled. And, 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 and it's a place where I'm, things are being revealed and God's like, come to me. Come to me. Let me settle the things in you that are unsettled. Let me work in you too. Today you can find complete joy in the things in which are troubling you. Amen? What, what is he saying in verse 5 and 6? Let him what? Let him ask. And that's, and that's what we're here for, Lord. We just want to ask. We want to have wisdom. We don't want to doubt. If we're lacking wisdom, if we're lacking faith, we just want to ask. We want to have a faithful living. So here we go. Let's go to verse 12. I'm going to read it one more time. It says this. Um, I'm, I'm going to read it in this translation. I read it in the New King James. I'm going to read it in the English Standard. Look how the English Standard puts it. It said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he receives the crown of life which the Lord promises to those who love him. Amen. What, what is this? This is what the Lord is producing in us. What is the Lord producing in us? He's producing a change in your character. He's producing what? He's bringing forth growth in your faith. And what else is he doing? A transformation. He's doing transformational work in your life. Remain steadfast, for when you stood the test, you receive a crown. The Lord has promised that to those who love him. He's making us, very important, and you should write this in your notes, he's making us into the person, he's making us into the person that one day, can you fathom this day? One day we will receive the crown of life. The promise to those, the promise is ours today. But it will be reassured and there will be a crown of life placed on us. He's making us into this person. And it's and, and, and you're like, why does God, why am I? Many of you stood up. Praise God. This message definitely relates to mostly all of you. Why do I feel? Why are we going through? Why am I? And, and it's because God is working in you. God's working in us. If you're married, how many of you is God working in your marriage? For the one that's been married for one year, for the one that's been married for 100 years, God's working in your marriage. If you've got children, how many of you is God working in your parenting? All right. if, uh, if it's finances, how much is God dealing with you at work? Your finances. I mean, just think about this. God is dealing with you always. He's dealing with certain areas of your life, faith, doubt, and all these different areas. He's producing something great. The second half of 1 Corinthians 9.25, as as Scripture tells us in James 1.12, that we're going to receive a crown. If we remain faithful, if we remain steadfast under these trials. 1 Corinthians says this, they do it, we live our lives, listen to this, they do it to receive a perishable crown. But we live our lives for an imperishable crown. The world can live their lives and they can gain their honor for the things that have early recognition. But the believer, the ones in the faith, we live for a crown that is imperishable that no one can snatch away from us. In Revelation chapter two ten, it's a reminder to us to be faithful. Faithful unto what? Unto the end. Revelation two ten says, "Be faithful unto death." I was gonna name the message that, but I was like, "Yeah, it's kind of negative." I'll 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 call it faithful to the end here, but be faithful until death, and I'll give you in Revelation 2:10 the crown of life. You're faithful until when? Until the end. Until the end. I need my faith to be authentic and genuine. I need it to to you. I need in my faith to use wisdom, execute wisdom, so that my life. I can have a faithful life before the Lord, before my family, before my friends, and before the witnesses of people. And, 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 and as we go now to 13 and on, I want to make sure that we get this. In life, we, if you're in a trial, most of you stood up. What's crazy about that is that life is not promised you just one trial. You might exit one trial and many of you could already testify and attest to this right to enter immediately your next trial and in life we face many trials and I want you to know this and I want you to write this down as we face trials we must love God under trials Love God under every trial. I'm going to read it one more time. And this is my main, my, my point as we say faithful to the end. It's this, to love God under trials. It's very easy to, to get, it's very easy and it can happen very fast to get disconnected from the love of God when you're in a trial. It's, listen, I know, I know I'm not just speaking just words that are falling to dead ground. I know everyone here can relate to this. It's very easy to enter a trial and take our eyes off the Lord, and our hearts begin to grow cold. We lose sensitivity to his word, to his spirit, to his presence, to the fellowship. It's very easy. It happens quicker than what we know. And and, and the command here is that we're faithful to the end. And in those trials, what do we do? We remain, what, steadfast. We love God under trials be careful not to lose the love of God in the midst of our trials amen Amen. verse 12 says blessed is the man I'm going to read it it's the key foundational verse of everything that I'm saying here in blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he's been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him it says here blessed is the man who endures what endures happiness, endures um, riches. Blessed is the man who endures good things when it comes to them. No, blessed is the man who endures temptation. What is scripture saying? You will be tempted and you will be called to endure temptation. The word temptation in the Greek, parasmos, means putting to proof. It means, it means to, 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 to put to proof, experience by adversity. The, the word here, temptation, can be translated if you look it up as trials. The one who is going through a trial. And we know that trials are ways, in, yes, in ways in which we are tested. So we can say, blessed is the one, listen to this verse, who endures temptation. We could say, blessed is the one who endures trial, who endures testing. For when he has been approved, that word means when he's passed the test. The King James says it this way, for when he is tried, when he is tried and when he passes that test, So in just one verse, we see that life gives us tests. And and these tests are meant for one thing. Why are tests given? Because you're going to show the world that you were made to pass tests. We, 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 tests are brought to us so that we could pass them. Trials are given to us so that we could move and be approved from them. Why did I go through that trial? Because when you exit, you're going to show yourself approved on this side of the trial. Let me ask you a question. When the three Hebrews came out of the fiery furnace, you think they were looked at the same? When, when Daniel came out of the lion's den, you think he was looked at, at the same way? You're telling me that when, all the, when Jesus resurrected from the trial of death and he came out of it and showed his resurrected body, did, did his followers look at him the same? I'm telling you, every single person that has exited a trial at the other side of it shows themselves approved. And it's something that we share with many others that have gone through trials. And it's something that we share with Christ who has gone through the ultimate trial. We show ourselves approved. There's a testing. And and when we've been tried, we're called to pass it. And and we receive this outcome. There's a promise. And we receive this crown, he calls it. A crown of life. A crown of life. How many of you have heard us speak about this crown of life here? And, and this crown of life, it's, 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 it represents the wreath that was put on the victor's head after, after these ancient Greek athletic games. And they would put it, you've seen pictures of it, you've seen videos of it, and you've seen movies that they do it. And, and they give them this crown. And that crown, it would be known as what? The victor's crown. When the, when the man was given the wreath's crown and he was walking around and parading himself, he was showing himself a proof. I am the victor of the race or the victor of whatever competition I was in. I'm the victor of this, of whatever hardship, of whatever struggle, of whatever testing I just came out of. We were given a crown of life. I've walked around people that, yeah, maybe they haven't been given the crown that will be given to them when they enter glory. But I've seen people walk on earth with, man, victor's crown on their heads, testifying of trials and testings and tribulations, and they've come out and they've shown themselves approved. And because of that, man, you can't do anything but honor the faith that they live. They were a victor's crown. I'm sure you know of someone that wears a victor's crown. How many of you remember Pastor Masish, when he came over here years ago, if you were here, and he came up here and he showed videos, and he's like, I'm, and his broken um, middle uh, dialect, the country was from in the other side of the world, And he says, I'm never able to walk into my country again. I am one of the most wanted men. And you think, you know, he murdered someone. He set a village on fire. He preached Jesus. And they raided his town. The next Sunday, everyone heard about the Christian village being raided. Many of you have heard this story in private conversations or whatnot. Many of you heard it through someone else. And he says that all buildings were burnt down. No one in the village was left with anywhere to live. And surrounding villages found out about this Christian village being burned out, They came to see of it on a Sunday morning. And Pastor Masish says, my church, he, I guess it multiplied by 100 on that Sunday. And he showed a picture from the back. And, they, and, and you see him from uh, his back view. And you look forward. And you see, I mean, thousands and thousands of people. He's like, my church was a small church in a village. On that Sunday, I had over 2,000 people that showed up for Sunday morning. And because of the fires, and because of the deaths, and because of the work that the enemy wanted to do to this Christian village, 2,000 people from surrounding villages that weren't even Christian came. They saw the disaster that was made in our village. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was years ago, forgive me for not knowing. And many came out knowing the Savior that was preached that day. That's crazy. He wore a victor's crown that day. He did not hide, he did not buy a plane ticket. Came to the States. They burned down my village. Guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to go back and I'm going to preach in that same village. And I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. I wear a victor's crown. What is that? He's faithful. We're faithful to the what? We're faithful to the end. How many of you could say that to yourself? Faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. Let's go to verse 13 there for a moment. Verse 13 says this. It says, let no one say When he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We're going through these trials, but verse 13 gives us something very important. God is not going to tempt an individual because God would never want anyone necessarily, obviously, to sin, And that's against his nature, but he will place us, yes, and he will place you, and he places the church, his beloved, in difficult circumstances. And I believe that many times we are placed in difficult circumstances because he wants to lift up godliness in us. We see it all over scripture. I mentioned the Hebrews. I mentioned Daniel. We could talk about Abraham. We could talk about all of Israel. We could talk about many others. What's in your heart? You want to know how sometimes we find out what's in your heart? The reaction in difficult circumstances. Reveal the heart of man. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And all I could ask when I read 1 Corinthians 10, when I read James 1.13, is what's in my heart? What's in your heart? I'll ask it this way. How do I know what's in my heart? How do you know what's in your heart? How do you react? How about this one? When circumstances get difficult, what do you turn to? Anyone with me? How do you, what do you turn to? How do you react? And, and this is the point of life where many individuals, myself, many of us have come to a place to even blame God. Many people at this point of their life, they turn away from God. Many people in this life, they, they live, they stay living complacent. What, the, what people will say, living in a rut. They live in a in complacent lifestyle. And we've seen it many times. But the reality is we need to constantly look at the mirror and say, what's in my heart? How am I reacting? What, what, what's the reaction to certain things? What am I turning to? Am I continuing to love God under trials or under trials? Do I see myself slowly turning away from God? Verse 14, let's keep going. Look what he says. He says, <clears throat> but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Each one is drawn away by his own desires and he's enticed. And, and this is true when you relate it to verse 13. And it's dangerous. Many, many times the test, the trials that we face... It causes us, yes, to lose focus, and we take our eyes. we little bit here, a little bit there, and we're tempted by what? It's not necessarily by anything else, by secret desires deep within us, and they begin to entice us. They begin to draw us away, and it's scary because we all get to a place, and we're like, man, I, if I could go back, Some things that could change. Look how fast I got here. And and, and we could blame and we could turn against God. But the reality is we need to look at scripture and say, most of this issue, maybe it's not God. Maybe it's what I'm turning to, how I'm reacting and how I'm not trusting in. And maybe a lot of it is my fault than it is his fault. Am I staying faithful to the end? The wordage here in verse 14, the New Living says it this way. It says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. The wordage in the Greek is describing an animal who is lured, an animal who is trapped, the trap that leads to a death or uh, because of an attractive bait and, and it leads to their capture. I think about the fish, you know, they see, they see another, I love to watch Wicked Tuna. One of my favorite shows, my, my son, when I turn it on, he's like, oh, not the fishing show. I, I just love Wicked too, and I love to see how these men grab fish that are 110 inches long, way up to, some of them could be up to 800. Like, it's wild. It's the hardest fish to catch. But it's crazy that such a massive fish catches and looks for this other fish, and it's a trap, and he gets hooked. And, and you think about that. You, how many of you love to eat lobsters? Well, the way you get lobsters, if you're not going into them, you're going to put a trap in there. You entice it, you're going to put a trap. And that's what the enemy, that's what life will try to do to us. That's what our desires, when we're driven by our own desires, the wordage in the Greek, it's like an animal who has been trapped by this attractive bait. And I say this, beware, temptation promises you something good, but which in reality, it's actually harmful. If you have received temptation, if temptation has risen, it may taste good, it may smell good, it may feel good. Ask Eve, ask Adam. Ask yourself. It may have all the components of something that may be good for me, but at the end it's destruction, it's harmful for your spirit, for your soul, and for those that you lead. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 and 9, he gives us a reminder. And he says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Look what he says. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And what is he doing? He's seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I read 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, and I said, Regal, will I love God? Will I love God under God? Trials. Will I love him? Will I resist the enemy? Will I resist the flesh? Will I resist my, the sinful evil desires? Many around the world. All right, let's go to verse 15. It says it this. Way. I'm going to read from, continue to read from the New King James. It says in verse 15, James chapter 1. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Verse 14 says, each one of you is tempted, and when you're drawn away by your own desires and you're enticed, that desire, verse 15, that desire that you're tempted in, and and, and you run to because of that desire that's within you, when that is conceived, it's going to give forth birth. And when it gives forth birth, it gives forth birth to sin. And sin, when it's grown fully, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. We know the scriptures in Romans 3, for the wages of sin is death. Verse 15, what is it doing? It's showing us the danger. It's showing us the danger in, in, in what? In not loving God under trials. The new living, it, it's, it's it, the wordage of it. It says the desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives, it gives birth to death. So it shows us the danger of not coming into the love of God in these trials. And James is writing this here specifically as a metaphor. I love how the study Bible of English Standard puts it. It says, as a full-grown desire bears its own child, sin, which itself grows into maturity and bears a grandchild called death. So a full-grown desire bears a child called sin, but that sin has a grandchild, and when it's fully grown, it's called death. And it's showing us here in verse 15 the terrible result that one gives into temptation. When one is given into temptation, man, there's a result, and there's death, there's decay that starts to happen in our soul, in our heart. Our mind begins to become polluted, and what are we called to do? To refresh ourselves in the word, in the presence, and the love of God. But when we are driven away from it we see the pollution we see the decay and we start to see death begin to occur in our lives there's a terrible result and verse 15 is warning us we don't want sin to reach its maturity we don't want it to possess our very character leading to a death and and yeah maybe it's a physical many people because of a sinful life has led to a physical death but but more powerful than a physical death is a spiritual death separation from god what is the greatest thing in hell the greatest thing in the lake of fire, it is not that you are burning consistently and the skin is constantly melting off your face, though that is bad, and the worms enter your body in and out of every single hole of your body. No, that sounds bad, but not the worst. The worst part of the lake of fire is eternal separation from the living God. The worst thing of hell is, e- is eternal separ- separation from the living God. And what do I want to do? I want to remain what? Faithful until when? When? Until the end. Until the end. Verse 16 and 17 goes on. And it says it this way. Verse 15, right? Don't let the, desire, don't, don't, the desires of your heart, don't let it continue to give birth to, to sin and sin to death. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my brethren. And I love how he's gonna, we're going to end this in 16, 17, 18. And he comes with this positive. He comes with this hope. What's my hope then? Where do I go to? He says, every good gift Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and it comes from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Powerful passage and as we close off in 16, 17 and 18 in this James chapter 1 but as he's changing it around, he's saying, listen, sin does this. Sin brings forth death. If you allow your heart to grow cold, if you turn away from God, look where the result of it can be, spiritual death while living here on earth. And it moves us here from evil temptations to the observation of this. Listen to this, listen to this verse. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from whom? Comes from Where? It comes from God. So I'm being tempted, but James is reminding us, keep your head right. Keep your focus on. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. Matthew seven eleven echoing something very important. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Our father, Abba, as Mahdi was up here saying, gives what promises, gives what good gifts, and he desires to give good gifts to children. Your temptation, your trial, your testing is not the end of you, but it's the formation of you to come out approved. And the good gift of coming out of that is imagine the testimony, imagine the weight, and imagine the influence and the leadership and the words to declare into someone else's life. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from my Father. James, in chapter 1, we, we read it quickly in verse 5. He's reminding us of the reader, the reader as we read this and, and as the letter is, is being written, that, man, God is full of goodness. And we see that in James 1, 5, and that in our trials, God is not tempting, yes, us to sin. He's not tempting us to sin, but that the difficulties in life are to strengthen us, are to perfect us. And the end result, as we know so well here, it's to make us more like God. And it's to transform us into the image of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine saying this prayer? Lord, here I am, your son. I want to be made more like you. And the answer to that is, so Lord, give me the strength to to enter and to come out approved from every difficulty because in the process of difficulties Lord I know I'm made more like you that prayer of being made more like God might be the invitation of Lord let your difficulties refine me let the difficulties of life refine me show myself approved what do we know about Romans 8:28? We know that God causes everything to work together. And it's for good, and it's for the good of those who love him. For those who are called according to his purpose. So when I read Romans 8:28, I have to pause and really examine my heart, examine my mind, examine where I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm acting. And I need to say this to myself, and I hope you guys could remember this, and I have to remind myself daily, God's intentions for me are not bad. Man, God's intentions for me, if my heart is right, my mind is right, I could say this, God's intentions for me are actually good. They're good. Don't allow the difficulty, the trial, the temptation, don't allow the heaviness to cloud, to bring a scale that I no longer can see that God's plan for me is good. Don't allow what the world and don't allow what my own life can what could occur in my own life. Don't allow that to to grow a, a divider to understanding and confessing and living that God's intentions for me are always good. Because the truth is, there's nothing in this world that it has to offer that is truly good for us and that is truly good for me. Because everything that is good comes from the origin of good and scripture says that God is good. His unchanging in his character, his giving of good continues. The New Living says, verse 18, like this. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, we become his prized possession. New King James says it. We become the first fruits of his creation. And he brought us forth by the word of truth. What what does this mean? As we close up here, and I want to spend... want to spend some time in prayer here for a moment but what does this mean when it says he brought us forth by the word of truth it speaks of spiritual salvation he brought us that means us the believer he brought us the word of truth That word of truth is the gospel. He brought the gospel. He brought salvation. He brought Christ to us. He brought us forth. That means forth from the womb. It's a metaphor of what? Of new birth. It's a new birth. We are new creatures in Christ. And he brought us forth. And why did God do this? This bringing us forth from the womb. This this new creation. This new birth. He says at the end of verse 18. So that we could be the first fruits of his creatures. Do you know what that passage means? English Standard Study Bible says we're pioneers. And I love the word pioneer. Because how many of... I mean, think about what we've preached here at our church. I'm a pioneer for my family, for my children. I'm pioneering a way, a philosophy, a mindset, a theology, a a pathway for them to follow. I'm a pioneer. The first fruits of his creatures, we are pioneer believers. Pioneer believers. And what are we pioneering? We're making a way for for further conversions to come. He brought us forth by the word of truth. We are the first fruit of His creation. Salvation has entered, so that we can make the way. Because there are many, because of our lives, that will come to know Jesus. Because of your life and the many that will come to know Jesus, what do you do? Stay faithful until the end. That testimony of that trial, of that fire, man. Someone will say, "Yes, Lord, here I am." And it would because they read the pages of your book. You're a pioneer. Verse 18 reminds me of why we continue and why I continue to love God. Love God under trials because there are more to come. And I must endure. I must continue loving God. I cannot be enticed, I cannot be drawn away by my own sinful desires. I need to stay the course. Oh, but it's hard. Many of you stood up a little while ago. I wonder how hard it is for many of you. Some of you guys, I might know some of your personal stories. Some of you don't know a lick of what you're going through. But it's hard for you. It's been difficult for you. In this church, many families have gone through some difficult moments. But what I love is to see when those families come out of those moments and continue to choose to love God under those trials and coming out of those trials. It speaks something heavy. I must continue loving him. I cannot be enticed. I cannot be drawn away. I wrote this down in bold. Love God under trials so that others may know the love of God under their trials. Faithful living, loving God under all trials that might come. Listen, we are sons and daughters of faith, and faith operates in the trial. I'm a, how many of you say, I'm of the faith, or they're of the faith? Well, When does your faith show its best? It's going to show its best in the midst of the trial. We are people of faith, we are sons of faith, we are daughters of faith, and we stay faithful to the end, and we love God under every circumstance, or under every difficulty under every trial. How many of you could say amen?